Hello and welcome to the Riverside Church Southwall podcast. Today's sermon is entitled Amazing Faith by Joe Gisby. Cheers, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. What, uh, what an amazing honor to be here with you guys. And uh, just so, so grateful to be here. This does feel like home from home in my capacity um, as assistant leader of Aaron Church. We meet in a very similar venue to this. Um, so they all send their love and their greetings. And um, I, I just, before anything else, just want to honor your leaders here, uh, Steve and Sue and Andy and Helen and all of the guys here. Let's give them some love because they are with you in- every week in and out and they are supporting you and loving you and I just want to say absolutely such an honour to be here with you guys today. Is this okay? Is it like cutting in, cutting out? Um, I think Julian said, didn't he? They might, you know, they're, they're going to need to compensate because I do tend to get quite excited when I speak, okay? So, and when I get excited, I speak fast and people in Aaron, they end up, they say to me, you know, the only way that we can really get out all of the juice from your talk is to download the podcast. So plug the podcast, get the podcast, everyone. Do you sign up, subscribe to the podcast. Um, because the great thing with podcasts is that you can put it on slow-mo. It's brilliant. So you can like slow down the, the, so you can get everything that you won't get because of how fast I'll probably end up speaking today. You'll be able to slow it down. Also, warning to the people in the front rows, you are in the spray zone. I just have to warn you, you're in the spray zone. I know you've been getting a lot of rain, but this is not the kind of rain that you're going to be wanting today. But I do have a tendency to spray the word of the Lord rather than say the word of the Lord. So I do need to just warn you, but you've probably got your umbrellas, so that should all be good. It should be good. Um, So I had the amazing privilege of leading an organisation called Lynx International. I'm not going to spend too much time talking about Lynx uh, because I want to really take my time for preaching. I feel like God's given me a word for you today. But um, just in in a nutshell, what Lynx is all about is about confronting poverty and creating potential around the world. And we do that by connecting people together who are passionate about making a difference. We really see ourselves almost like um, as a circuit board of relationships. We sit in the background and support support ordinary radicals, history makers, world changers around the world to get the job done. And many of you in this room have connected with us to see that happen. Link's message has always, has never been come and help us change the world. Many charities, what they're essentially saying, and they say it in a very nice way, is we're the professionals, so please give us some of your money and we'll go out and do what needs to be done. Okay, we get that. And there's a place for that. And loads of those organisations are doing amazing work. But... I believe that if you follow the movement and the mission of Jesus, you want to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty. You want to be involved in the transformation. And so we want to flip the whole thing on its head and say, no, we don't want you to come and help us change the world. We want to help you change the world. So what is it that God's put in your heart? Whether that's church leader, business manager, individual, what is it that God has put within your heart to do around the world? And how can we come alongside you to help? you get that done. Now, there are all kinds of different areas of our work. In fact, Julian forgot one of the elements when he was telling that amazing story about the multicoloured well and everything that was going on there, that after the girl had taken the rat out and went back to get more water, the next step was that she got a Lynx International water filter kit, which was white. Everybody say white with me. And, uh, And filtered that water. And because of filtering that water, the water was pure and nobody in the village died because of rat leftovers, okay? Now, we find ourselves very practically bringing solutions to, to people in the area of spirit, health, business, education, and justice all around the world, working to over 60 different nations. We can't do it on our own. We need you. And so I just want to invite you to be part of the conversation. I want to invite you to be part of that adventure with us. So whether that is, whatever that might look like in your capacity, you might come to me and say, Joe, you know what? I could pray. I could pray for what is going on around the world. And we would say, thank you so much. That means the world to us. You might say, I could give. I could give into micro businesses that are seeing tens of thousands of families set free from poverty. I could give something monthly towards that. And you know, your gift of 10 pounds towards 
doors that would set up two families in business uh, over the course of the year. And then because that money's recycled, the following year it would set up four families. The following year it would set up eight families and grow and grow exponentially. And that's really seeing people not just receive a handout, but a hand up empowered to actually make a difference to their future. You might be able to do something like that. You might be able to come on a trip somewhere. You might be able to come on a team somewhere and actually see it for yourself. We want to see the church awaken to be everything that Jesus has called us to be. So actually this Thursday in Nottingham, we have an event called Drinks with Links at a Cuban bar in, because we're pretty cool in Lynx. We, you know, we, we, we like to do things in a way that's cool. So we're meeting at a Cuban bar called Revolución de Cuba and there's going to be tapas and drinks and we're going to tell some inspiring stories and we would just like to invite you, if that's something that you would like to engage with, please come and talk with me afterwards or talk with Eric and Sandra or with Helen and Andy. We'd love to have a chat with you about that. Um, it's just, it's going to be at 7.30. It's going to be like an hour and a half and uh, it's going to be great fun. So please do talk to me if you would like to connect in with that. Does that sound good? For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Joe Gisby. I'm married to an amazing woman, Carolina Gisby. Um, I have four incredible children. The oldest is 13 and the youngest is five. So I literally haven't slept well for about 13 years. So I, if I'm a little bit wired, it's partly because of that. It's partly because of the caffeine. I am feeling fully Holy Spirit caffeinated this morning. I just need to warn you. I really feel like God has a word that he wants to bring. Uh, I have my amazing daughter, Eliana, here with me. She's getting all red already just for because I mentioned her, Eliana's birthday is tomorrow, so that's super exciting. But with no further ado, let's jump into the Word of the Lord, and I'm going to start reading in Philippians, Philippians, uh, no, sorry, in um, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to start reading in verse 10. Give me a big amen when you get there. You got it? If you've got it on like your smartphone or something, that's, that's awesome. If you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry. It's going to appear on the Magic Sky Bible above my head, just up here. I'm going to start off. Okay, verse 10. Finally, say finally. Who gets excited when a preacher starts with finally? You're like, oh, amazing. Are we at the end already? No, no, no. This is just the beginning. But I do need to point out to understand what Paul is about to say to us. We need to realise that it comes in the context of a whole letter that he has written to people in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was like the capital city of Asia Minor. It was a port. It was incredibly wealthy. The temple to the goddess uh, Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a Land built. It was a, a city built on um, on business and commerce, and and there was a lot that was fake about Ephesus. Okay, it had a beautiful facade that overlaid a corrupt system that was imploding from within. It was the centre for prostitution in Asia Minor. Um, many historians say that that there were well into the um, into the tens of thousands of prostitutes in Ephesus. So people come from all over Asia. Minor to this place that was one of the wonders of the ancient world, okay? And the book of Ephesians is all about this message to these people standing up in a way that would be countercultural, in a way that would, would, would make a statement to the powers around them that there is a new way to be human. There is a different way to live. Okay? And so they, because of that, because of the radical countercultural message and lifestyle of the Christians, they opened themselves up to attack. They opened themselves up to the fact that this means war. The enemy was not going to sit back. I don't know if you realise this, but the message of Jesus is subversive. It is powerful. It is potent. And when we really live out the message of Jesus, we are asking for trouble. Okay? Nicey nice Christianity is not what we are called into. We are called into a battle. We are called into a war. I don't know if you realise this, but this is not supposed to be a country club. Okay, the Christian message isn't come and join a country club. It's come and join an army. This is a barracks. Okay, this is a Holy Spirit training center for world changers and world overcomers. Amen. That's what this is. I don't know if some of you remember. There was a movie in the eighties called Private Benjamin. Does anybody remember that movie? Anyone? Okay, right. So Private Ben. I was born in the eighties. I'm showing my age now, but I remember seeing this movie, and uh, it's Goldie Horn, right? And she thinks that she is signing up to uh, to a crew. Um, holiday, when what she's actually signing up to is joining the Navy. 
Right? And I think a lot of us, we hear a message in church and we hear the preacher say, come and follow Jesus and everything is just going to be awesome after that. Okay, Just come and follow Jesus. He will make you healthy, wealthy and wise. He, you're, like you're, if we believe the Christian TV channels, he will make your teeth sparkling white. He will make all of the wrinkles disappear. Right? He'll make all of that go. You'll have killer abs suddenly and everything will be great. But how many of you know that that is not the call of Jesus? The call of Jesus is to to take up our cross, to follow him, and to be willing to die. That's, that's the call of Jesus. I know you're feeling very encouraged today, right? You're feeling very encouraged that you came to church. But that's the reality of what we are called to. This is an army barracks. This is, a, this is training for the transformation of the world. And so Paul says, after talking about how we are hidden in Christ, how we are seated with him in heavenly places, high above principality, power, might, and dominion, what Whatever the enemy could throw at you, we are seated in that position. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Say in the Lord. And in his mighty power. Say his mighty power. Notice that it's not our power. It's not my power. It's not up to us to be super strong. It's God's power and it's his presence. Now, what's the difference between strength and power, you may ask me? I'm glad you asked. Okay, so first of all, you can have something that is inherently strong, but until you put that to work, it's not going to make any difference, okay? I have, uh, I have my Toyota Verso outside and it has a strong engine, but it's only going to be shown its potential when I put that engine to work. I've just recently been on the continent and in Germany, on the Autobahn, you can go as fast as you want, right? It's super, who's driven on the Autobahn? It's super exciting, right? Because you can put your foot down and you can see the potential of what is actually there inherent within, within, the, within the motor, right? So, you know, you know it's, I, I could have strong muscle mass, but unless I actually put it to work, nothing is going to happen, Right? And, and let's say I want strong muscle mass, right? Let's say, say because I know you're thinking, Joe, you're, 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 you're buff already. But let's say that I really want to build up my muscle. How many of you know I'm not going to get anywhere by just calling the intercessors of the church and saying, hey, would you pray, would you pray for me? Would you like, you know, speak some prophetic words over my muscle mass? It's not going to make any difference, is it? The only thing that's going to make any difference is if I put what I already have to work. I have to put what I already have to work. You're not blessed by the word that you hear. You're blessed by the word word that you put into action. You're blessed by what you actually take and say, I am going to put this into action. So we are told to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God, the full armour. You know, he doesn't give us any option to pick and choose. We love picking and choosing, don't we? Oh my goodness, we love pick and mix. We love that we get to choose a little bit of this, a little bit of that. In our postmodern culture, we love to say, well, you know, I'll add, a, I'll add a little bit of Jesus into my life. I'll have a little bit of Jesus incorporated into my life. That's not the message of Jesus. The message is that he is a, he's a jealous God and he wants absolutely everything. Okay, so we need to put on the whole armour. We need to put on the, the fullness of what God has brought for us. He, he has given us everything that we could possibly need for what we face. I want to say to you today, whatever you're facing right now, there is a full provision and a full armour for whatever you're facing. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, when, we are called to battle. It's coming. So you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand there firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, 
Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now notice that all of the other things that that Paul talks about are things that we are supposed to put on, right? We're supposed to put these things on and the actual, the the, the context of that Greek, I know know a little Greek, his name's Mike Andrea. He lives down in in Kent. Um, But I'm gonna teach you a little bit of Greek today. So we are told to put on this stuff. But then in this moment, we're told to take something up. We're told to take these pieces of equipment into the battle. Now, you know, the Roman soldiers, they would have to have their belts on all the time. Otherwise, their togas would fall down. They would have to, you know, they'd have to have these certain elements on them all the time. But then there were other things that they were told to put, to to take up when they stepped into battle. It's no good having a shield that is by your side, that looks beautiful, that looks ornate, that looks great, it looks strong, it looks really, really good, if you don't have any idea how to fight with it. There's absolutely no point in that. There are times in our lives where we have to take up these things. And it says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the inherent power within your word. We thank you that it is sharper than any two-edged sword and it cuts and divides between soul and spirit and joint and marrow and it searches out the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. Lord God, I pray that your word would go forth today. Come and have your way. Do your will, Lord God. Move in this place. Confirm your word with signs and with wonders following. God, if this is just ideas and if this is just information, then Lord, it is, it is next to worthless. But if you come and if you breathe on your word and if you bring revelation to us today, we can come out of this place having been impacted by the power of the living God. And so Spirit of God, we ask you to come. I ask you to put me on like a glove, Lord, and to speak your words, Jesus. Silence me so that you can speak in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to talk to you about over the next couple of minutes is the subject of amazing faith. Say with me, amazing faith. Amazing faith. You and I, we are called to have a faith that moves mountains, Jesus said. We walk by faith and not by sight. Now, for some of you, when I say the word faith, it brings up all kinds of connotations. I am not ignorant of the fact that in a room like this, there are people with all kinds of different experiences around that word, the word faith. For some of you, when I say the word faith, you think of um, unreality. You know people who maybe have said, well, I'm just walking by faith in that. And what they really mean is that they are ignoring the facts that are next to them. Faith does not ignore the facts. Faith just believes that there is a greater reality. Faith just believes that there is a greater reality, that the facts have to, they have to submit to that greater reality. So often in the church, we lower the truth of God's word down to the level of our experience. We lower it down to what we have happened to experience instead of deciding in our gut, in the very depth of our being, that we will refuse to lower God's word to our experience, but rather we will raise our experience to the level of God's word and what God has promised and what God has said. Thank you for that little clap down there. Amen. So we are told to step into that whole realm of faith. And we have this beautiful scripture here and he talks about shields. I'm going to talk about the shield of faith for a moment. Now this is Captain America's shield, okay? Any, any Marvel fans in the house? Any Marvel fans? Okay, so Captain America's shield is like impenetrable, okay? There's, there's one moment in one of the Avenger movies where Thor's hammer hits the shield and there's this resounding gong and everybody like looks in awe and they think, is anything going to happen? But of course, nothing happens. The shield doesn't, doesn't break at all. And um, so we, when we think of shield, we kind of think of this kind of thing, but that's not what the Roman shield was like. Not at all. It wasn't made of that kind of material. It was not that kind of shape. In fact, the Roman shield that Paul is talking about, and there are a number of them, would have been the scutum, the one on the end. Say scutum with me. Okay, so scutum. Now, the Roman shield would have covered their bodies from their neck down to below their knees. It was fully, it was a full covering. So when they went out to battle, they knew that they were fully protected. It was made of wood. The shield was made of like a, a strong wood, but then it was overlaid with leather. Okay, 
And the leather would be, um, it, would, it would essentially be covered in oil. Now that was to protect and strengthen the leather. But it was also so that when the, when the encroaching army would come against you and try to grab it or try to attack, then they would slip off. They wouldn't be able to, to, to grab the shield. Now behind that leather covering would be this wooden, uh, this wooden shape. And what they would do is when they went out to battle, they would take their shields and they would dip them in water until the wood would essentially become waterlogged. Okay? So the, the wood would become waterlogged and they'd go out to battle in this formation shape. And the first step of the battle against their enemy would be that as they went out to take land, to take territory, that the enemy would bombard them with flaming arrows, okay? So this kind of thing. I don't know if you can see very well on there, but they, they would have these like ancient world Molotov cocktail bombs, okay? And they would just be coming in from all sides and it would be absolute confusion. Just showers of these arrows would come down on them. And the idea was that the army would be able to set the shields on fire so that in the confusion and in the, in the, in the fear of that moment, they would throw their shields to one side, leaving themselves exposed to further attack. And isn't it true that so often when we go out and when we take a stand of faith and when we decide that we want to do something awesome for God, when we decide that we want to step out in faith, suddenly it's like attack comes on all sides, yeah? It's like suddenly the enemy will bombard us with all of the reasons why it isn't possible. And those reasons will come in, in they'll come from internally, from our thoughts, but they'll also come from well-intentioned friends telling us all of the reasons why it is impossible. And it feels like these, these arrows just come in from every side. But of course, if that shield had been drenched in water and if it had oil covering it, when those arrows hit, they would be extinguished and wouldn't be able to have any effect. And how many of you know that our lives, our faith, it needs to be absolutely drenched in the Word of God. We need to have this. The Bible, Paul says that the Word of God needs to be within us, dwelling within us richly. It needs to be living and active inside of us. It's not good enough to just like to just, to just come on a Sunday and just hear a little bit of teaching and think that that's going to get us through. We need our lives to be submersed in this to the point where I believe and I agree with this over whatever might be happening around me. Right? I need to choose whether or not I'm going to believe God or believe my circumstances. And faith so often causes us to be in a place. In fact, faith is nonsense. It doesn't make sense and it doesn't correspond with our five physical senses. We can't always see it. We can't always feel it. We can't always smell it, taste it or touch it. And yet we know that it is real. We were just, um, we had an, the amazing opportunity as a family to go to a place uh, to, to visit a friend in Switzerland. And while we were there, we went and we visited a place called Amden, which I'd been to as a kid. My parents used to do quite a bit with some churches in Switzerland. And I'd been to this place as a kid and I knew how beautiful Amden was. And yet the day when we went, it was really cloudy. Okay, so... We found ourselves there on the top of the mountain, looking out at what would be an incredible mountainscape. And yet it was totally covered by clouds. And I'm feeling disappointed. And we decided to take the kids on one of the ski lifts, you know, the ones where you sit in the, the, the chairs. It's, you know, it's always a little bit scary, isn't it, getting onto them? Because the thing comes around and you have to sit back into it. And because of the nature of those, you can only go two at a time on those. So, so Eliana and Luca, my oldest, are in the seats in front of us. And then Carolina and um, Zion, our middle child, are in the front. And I've got Seth next to me. And Seth is five, and he's a real little wriggler, okay? So he's wriggling around. He's saying he wants to put his feet on the feet rest. I'm worried he's going to slip out. And we're like 40 feet high up off of the ground. And we're making our way up. And, you know, we can see like beautiful kind of hillside, really alpine around us. But we can't see any of this view that's in front of us. And it makes, it, it makes its way all the way up to the top. And we decide we're not going to get off because we're a little bit scared that our kids won't be able to get off anyway. And so it begins to make its way back down again and as we're coming down little areas of the clouds begin to dissipate and we begin to see some of the mountain peaks and some of the like rocky formations beginning to appear through the clouds and I'm sitting there and I'm kind of complaining to God and I'm like God 
She said, I know what, I know what is behind those clouds. Could you just please come with like some supernatural eraser and just, you know, like, 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 like on Bruce Almighty, right? And just like kind of get rid of the clouds. And, and I felt as strong as anything, the Holy Spirit said within my, within my soul. He said, if you would just spend less time complaining about what you don't see and rejoice in what you do see, you would be enjoying this experience a whole lot more than you are right now. And isn't it true that so often we spend so much time, we spend so much time saying, God, where is thee? Where is the great revival? Where is the fullness of that healing? Where is this? And we know that it's there. We know in our hearts what God's will is and what he wants to do. And yet so often we spend so much time worrying about what we're not seeing, that we're not spending time rejoicing in what we do see. Maybe you haven't seen the fullness of the promise yet. Maybe you haven't seen the whole healing happen yet. But I want to submit to you today, if you celebrate what God has already been doing in the full assurance of what is behind that cloud, sooner or later, that view is going to come into focus. And we found ourselves not that much longer down in Amden walking around and the sun came out and the clouds left and we saw the most beautiful view over the Lake Valency that you could ever imagine. Absolutely stunning. And I want to say to you today, could it be that that, 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 that moment is just around the corner Could it be that you are just on the verge of seeing the fullness of that promise? Faith calls us into a place where we celebrate. If we don't see it, if we don't see it, we're never going to see it. Okay, we have to see it in here first. Now, the word for One other thing, just super quick before I move on. So when they went out to battle, they would go out in this formation. They call it the tortoise formation. They would have their shields in front of them, covering them. They'd have their shields on top. They'd have their shields on the side. I want to say to you today, Christianity is not a solo sport. If you are trying to live out your faith on your own, in your own strength, I can guarantee you're setting yourself up for a failure. We are called to journey together. We are called to march out to battle together. I am supposed to have your back. You're supposed to have my back. We're supposed to be watching out over each other. If you are trying to live it out on your own, I want to say to you, I want to challenge you today, join a small group. Come along to other things. Make sure that you've got accountability partners within your life that you're sharing life with and doing life with because they will watch your back and you need to watch their back. Thank you. Thank you. So faith is this, is this, is this stance that we are called to. Okay, so now, now the Greek word for faith is the word faith. Pistis. Okay, so say with me, pistis. Now, I know some of you are chuckling, right? Because it sounds like I just said a rude word, okay? Eric, like, properly chuckled in the, earlier, in, the, in the first service earlier. So it sounds like a rude word, right? So everybody say it again with me, pistis. Now we're all in it together, okay? So nobody can write me emails. Nobody can say to me, Joe, well, why did you say that rude word in church? Because you've all just done it, okay? So now we're all in it together. Now, pistis essentially means to be divinely persuaded, okay? It means this persuasion that comes that is based on relationship. Okay, now I know that Carolina loves me. I know that she loves me. She doesn't need to be telling me all the time. I know what she's thinking most of the time. and She knows what I'm thinking most of the time. I know when I'm in trouble. Can I get an amen from the husbands in the house? I mean, Carolina can cause me to wither from 40 yards with one look. I know exactly what she's thinking because I have a relationship with her and we walk together and we know each other. Faith is supposed to be based on relationship. It's supposed to be based on this interaction where we walk and we talk and, we, and our lives are so merged together that you don't know where one ends and where the other begins. That's what God is talking about when he talks about faith. And I want to say to you, faith is the only thing in the Bible that we see that amazes God. How many of you want to amaze God in this place? How many of you want to live a kind of life that actually causes God to stop and to say, I want to show myself strong on their behalf because the way that they are living, the way that they are acting is amazing. And if you want that, the only way that we see through the Scriptures that we can amaze God is by being people of faith. The first time we see that is in Luke 7, verse 1 to 9. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically the, the, the Jews come and they say that there's this centurion and his servant is dead, is, um, is really unwell, on the verge of death. And they call Jesus to go and they say, he's worthy of you to go, which, I mean, this is a strange story because this would have been the occupying forces. He's got a servant that he shouldn't have loved, but he loved 
I mean, servants were disposable. You know, one servant dies, you get another servant. They were really treated like slaves. And yet in this story, we read about this centurion who loved his servant. And so Jesus is making his way to one who is an outsider, one who shouldn't have known any better, one who shouldn't have had the kind of faith that he had. And yet Jesus on the way, the centurion comes and says to him, I am not worthy to have you come under my household. I mean, this is shocking, right? I mean, this is like, this is like somebody in the... In Nazi Germany, one of the SS troops coming to, to, to a Jewish rabbi and saying, I'm not worthy to have you come to my house. That's the kind of shock impact that this would have had to Jesus' audience in that moment. And he says, I'm not worthy for you to come under my, my roof because just say the word and my servant will be healed. And the Bible says this, it says that Jesus, it says when he heard this, he was amazed. Say with me, amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him he said I tell you I have not found such great faith even in Israel that word there is the Greek word thalmaso thalmaso to be amazed it shows up around or it shows up around 40 times in the New Testament always in reference to people being amazed by what Jesus did but it only shows up twice in the Bible referring to God or Jesus in the sense of him being amazed and one of them is in this moment could it be Riverside Church that God is looking for the kind of faith that will stop him in his tracks that will stop him and say that is absolutely amazing I want to do something with these people because what they are believing goes beyond absolutely anything. So we see God amazed at the incredible faith of the centurion. Now, the only other time we find it in the, in, the, in the Gospel of Mark, and this is when Jesus goes to Nazareth, okay? Jesus grew up in Nazareth. They'd seen little Jesus playing football. I don't know if they have football, but you know, they'd seen little Jesus playing as they grew up there. They'd seen him hanging out with his siblings. They'd seen Jesus go through uh, his, his adolescence. They probably saw Jesus with acne, right? I mean, they saw Jesus grow up, and so they were familiar with Jesus. And so at first they're astonished. They are amazed at his teaching. They are found muscle at his teaching. But then it turns around and they begin to say, who do you think you are, Jesus? We, we saw you grow up. You're the carpenter's kid. We know exactly. We, 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 Jesus, we know you. Well, who do you think you are? And the Bible says that Jesus says to them, a prophet is not without honour, except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. And he could do, not he didn't choose to. It's not like he said, stuff you, I'm not going to do anything with you. It says that the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent king of the universe could do no mighty works there. No miracles, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. You know, Nazareth Nazareth is a dangerous place. Familiarity is a dangerous place. You know, we can become so familiar with the things of God that they stop amazing us. You know, when it all becomes so optional, when it all becomes so easy, and when it all becomes so normal, then we stop having that same, that same desire to plug in and to, and to seek God and to run after God. I mean, I travel to countries where they, they have to walk for two hours to get to church. They have incredible odds against them, and yet they are hungry. They They put their desperation on display and God does amazing things. You know, all throughout the Gospels, we see people, whether it's the woman with the issue of blood who could have been stoned for being in public, whether it's the guys who say, you know what, we are not going to let the crowd stop us from getting to Jesus. If we, you know, so you might be, can you imagine how discouraged they were in that moment? Can you imagine how disappointed they were? They carried this guy there to meet with Jesus and there's too much stuff in the way. And could it be that sometimes your discouragement is actually God's purpose to raise you to a whole other level? And so they went to a whole other level geographically, physically to meet with Jesus. Could it be that what you're facing right now is actually God's call, come a little bit closer, seek me a little bit more. Don't get familiar, don't get disappointed, push in a little bit more. And every time we see throughout the Gospels that when people put their desperation on display, Jesus would respond in an amazing way. Son of David, have mercy on me, Bartimaeus cried out. Shut up, Bartimaeus. He don't want anything to do with you. You're worthless. And he cries out even more. Son of David, have mercy on me. He put his desperation on display and God came and did something amazing. 
And you know, we've grown up a generation where the things of God have become so normal and so optional. You know, I, I remember in my early teens when the whole Toronto thing hit and, and people uh, falling down under the power of the Holy Spirit and laughing and crying and just all kinds of amazing healings took place. And you know the story, like for us in Aaron, Delirious was born out of that moment. The 24-7 prayer movement was born out of that moment. Uh, all kinds of incredible things happen but in the church that I help lead now there is a whole generation that have grown up and that's just normal it's just normal you know praying in tongues it's just normal those things seeing those healings it's just normal and so there's not that same drive there's not that same desire and I long to see that in our nation. I long to see what I see when I travel to these countries. And, they, and, 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 they'll, and they'll say to me things like, you know, the only, the only leadership that we ever, training that we ever got was how to witness to, to our executioner on the way to our execution. I'm like, guys, put your hands on my head because I want, I, I want that kind of faith. I want the kind of faith that will stand up and be willing to, Give the message of Jesus even in the face of overwhelming persecution and problems. I want that kind of faith. But it's all become so optional. It's all become so, so easy. It's all become, well, well you know, we, and, and then could it be that the place where it's the most difficult for Jesus to do mighty works, where the place where it's the most difficult for God to feel welcome is in his own household in Nazareth. His own, his own community so often are so resistant to the move of God because we've become so comfortable with what we have known that we're not willing to jump out into the unknown, that we're not willing to step out into that place. And you know, Christians, they love, we, you know, we, might, we love coming in. We love raising our hands in the worship. We love to sit through the word. But so church, why is it that thousands of churches, the length and the breadth of this nation, and only, only 70 million people in this nation, why is it that we haven't seen the kind of revival that we've been crying out for? Could it be because our churches are filled with unbelieving believers who love to sing the word, who love to get pistis at the weekend? Yes, I did say that into the microphone. I'm not trying to be flippant or facetious. I'm trying to make a point that so often we come and we get a little bit of goosebumps on a Sunday, but it doesn't have any effect on the rest of our lives and the rest of our weeks. I don't know about you, but I want a faith that works just as much on Monday, that can make it on Monday, that can take me to forward on Tuesday, that can get me, can, make, can work on Wednesday, that can get through Thursday, that can fight on Friday and that can stand on Saturday. I need a faith that works. How about you? I need a faith that works. And so God calls us into that and to live a life of faith is profoundly risky. It's profoundly risky. The times when I've seen God do the most amazing things have been the moments when I've stepped so far out on the limb that if God doesn't catch me, I'm going to be in trouble. I remember being in the slums in Colombia and uh, we were picking up children to take them to the, uh, to the nursery that we would take them to. And I walked into one of the properties and there was a guy in front of me and he had, he had wild eyes. His hair was matted. He was high as a kite on something. He had a machete in his belt and a gun in his pocket. And he looked at me and he said, what are you doing here? We kill people like you. And I'm scared by this point. And, you know, they don't like Americans in that part of the world because of their foreign policies in that moment. And so I would generally say, I'm not American, I'm English. I, no soy gringo, just soy inglés. And at that point, they usually be, oh, we love the English. David Beckham, Manchester United. And they like give you a hug and everything would all be cool. But on this occasion, that's not what happened. <laughs> he said, I don't care. We kill people like you. At that point, I am scared, I'm more scared than I've ever been. And I look behind me and the doorway is blocked by three other people stopping my exit to get out. And so I just look down and I just say, Jesus, Help me, Jesus, help me. And the next thing I knew, and I have no recollection of how this happened, I had been moved from that place to over 50 metres away next to the minibus that we used to pick up the children. Now, I don't know if an angel closed my eyes and their eyes to what was going on, or if, like, or if God just picked me up like one of those clamp machine things in the, in the arcade and popped me down next to the minibus. I have no idea. All I know is that one moment I was right in the face of death, and the next moment I was rescued and I was put in a firm place. And I looked back and I saw them stumble out of this property rubbing their eyes thinking what on earth has just happened and they couldn't do anything about it because there was a huge crowd that had gathered around our minibus God shows up in incredible ways when we put ourselves out there when we put ourselves if you want to see God move you, in amazing ways you've got to get out of the boat you've got to get 
out. You've got, to, you've got to at least try to step on water. Churches have become so much about, well, everybody's, you know, just stay dry. Just stay safe. Just stay in the boat. Don't, don't, don't rock it. Just stay nice and dry. And we all like, oh, you're looking dry today. You're looking dry too. Oh, well done. Oh, you haven't made any mistakes. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's absolutely amazing. And our lives become dry and our sermons become dry and our prayer lives become dry and everything becomes dry because we're not willing to step out of our familiarity. To live a life of faith is profoundly risky and we live in a generation that is so risk averse. You know, we live, we've grown up with like the golden buzzer. You can be anything. You can do anything. All you need to do is just, you know, get voted in. Everybody gets a medal for taking part in sports day. We're all told that we can win the world. And nobody tells us how difficult that's going to be. And yet at the same time, with all of the health and safety stuff, you know, the monkey bars are taken away from the parks because we don't want little Bobby to fall down and break his arm, right? And so we are so scared of making a mistake. We're so scared of stepping out. And we are so busy trying to curate a public persona, whether that is through our Facebook, Instagram, whatever it might be, a persona that will impress people that we've stopped amazing God. I want to tell you something today, and I say this with absolute love in my heart. Your carefully curated public profile, which doesn't actually bear any real resemblance to the real you, is not going to save anybody. It's not going to heal anybody. It's not going to baptise them in the Holy Spirit. And we need a people who are more willing to cultivate a personal relationship with God. We need a people who want to make history and so are willing to have history with the Creator so that they can create history. We need a people that are willing to spend less time on Facebook and more time with their face in His book, less time talking to people on FaceTime that they don't really care about and more time on their face before the presence of God. If we want to see the kind of generation that is going to amaze God, we're going to need to step into that place. Amen? And it's not going to look cool. You know, in a world of consumerism and postmodernism and intellectualism and every other ism you want to add to it, it's not going to look cool. You're going to look weird. You're going to have to look weird. I mean, I have people that come to me and they're like, Joe, seriously? You believe? You believe in the virgin birth? Yes, I do. I do. I believe it. I didn't fail biology. I have, you, you know, you'd think after four kids I'd know how this works. I know how it works. I know how it works, but I believe. I believe that. So do you believe in the, in, the, in the full bodily resurrection of Jesus? Yes, yes, I believe that. But that's impossible. I know it's impossible. I don't need a God who can do what I can do. I need a God who is able to go much further, who is able to exceeding abundantly beyond anything that I could ask or think. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of God that I want to serve. So Joe, you believe that? You believe in the infallibility of Scripture? Yeah, I do. I do. I believe that this is the truth. Does that mean I like it all? Does that mean I understand it all? No, but I believe that this is true. I wonder if the band can come up and play because otherwise I'll carry on until the second coming. (laughs) We're going to have to be willing to look foolish in our generation. We're going to have to be willing to not just aim to look cool. And I'm in a church that, you know, loves to look cool. And we, you know, our, our skinny jeans and our tattoos and our piercings are not going to save anybody. We need to be amazing God. And I'm sure that when Noah was out there building a boat, like I'm sure some of you have thought about doing this last week, um, I'm sure they looked at him and they would have thought, how foolish, how foolish Noah. What are you doing, Noah? I'm building an ark. What is an ark, Noah? I have no idea, right? Why are you building an ark, Noah? Well, it's going to rain. What is rain? I don't know. How many of you at times in your life feel like you are doing, I have no idea, for I don't know, right? Sometimes faith looks like I have no idea. How foolish did it look for, you know, for Sarah to be shopping in the maternity section of Marks and Sparks? Sarah, your eggs have dried up, love. You know, nothing is going to happen here. How, how foolish, Sarah. How, how stupid did it look for Moses to be standing in front of, a, uh, in front of the Red Sea of a, with an encroaching Egyptian army coming behind him? How foolish did he look? And they're like, Noah, Moses, what are you going to do? And he's like, I don't know, but I've got this stick. 
How foolish does that look? How foolish did it sound when like Caleb? Caleb says, I want Hebron. I am as strong as I was when I was a young man. I was reading that the other day, right? And it did make me chuckle because he says, I'm as strong as I was when I was a young man. You know how old he was? He was 40, right? Okay, so he was 40. I'm going to be 40 next year. I am still a young man. Thank you, Jesus. Right? So how foolish did that look at 80, 85 to say, I want the most difficult territory. I want to take that. How, How foolish did it look when Esther decided she would try and stop a genocide by going into, into the king's presence when he could have ordered for her to be killed because of that. How, how foolish did it look for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to stand up to the, to the Babylonian superpower of their day and say, no matter what you say, no matter what you do to us, we are not going to bow down. How foolish did that look? How foolish did it seem when Mary came, went to Joseph and said, you know, an angel's appeared to me and said that I am going to give birth to the Son of God. How, how can you imagine like for Joseph what was going on in his head there? How foolish did that look? How foolish did it look? How foolish did it seem when that boy came with his lunchbox and there were over 5,000 men and, and many, many more women and children? How foolish did that look? How foolish did it look for Peter to be climbing over the rim of that boat to think that he would be able to walk on that water like Jesus was walking? How, how foolish did it seem when Jesus hung on that cross, blood dripping into the dust, and everybody's like, is that seriously? Seriously, is that the one that you're pinning all of your hope on? Is that the one that you are? And they still, they still accuse us of it today. Is that the king of the Jews? That's the hope of the world. This is the one riverside that you're believing is going to you know, sort everything out. Seriously, how, how foolish they must have thought. We're going to have to be willing to look foolish. Everybody in that great hall of faith chapter in Hebrews 11 looked foolish to the people around them. But guess what? The rain did come. And Noah did save his generation. Noah did save the people in that moment. And you know what? Sarah did give birth to Isaac. And you know what? Moses did raise up that staff and the waters did split open. You know what? The children of Israel, they did march around those Jericho walls and they did come crumbling down at the blast of a shofar. You know what? They, they, these things, they did happen. Caleb, he did take Hebron at 85 years of age. And Esther, she did stem a Jewish genocide. And Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they stood in that fire and they walked out and their clothes were not even singed. That is what actually happened because of their stand of faith. Mary did give birth to the Son of God. That little boy's lunchbox did feed 5,000 people and Peter did walk on the water. And I want to tell you something else, that Jesus after three days, he did rise up out of the grave and he does hold the keys to death and Hades and he has overcome and will overcome in your situation. And if you believe it and if you want to follow in his footsteps, I want to invite you to stand up on your feet and to take that stand of faith right now. Lord God, we want to be a people that believe in this generation, that step out in faith, that, that are willing to look foolish, Lord God, to the people around us, who are willing to take risks, who are willing to stand out and say, our God is able. Lord God, I pray that Riverside would be that kind of house, that this would be a place of amazing faith, that amazes God. And in response, you do amazing things through them, Lord God. Would you amaze Southwell and would you amaze this vicinity by your presence in this place, Lord God. Stir up faith now within us, God. I pray that you would ignite faith in this place, that fires would come alight right now in Jesus' name. Lord God, we are not messing about. We do not want church, just business as usual. Lord, we want to ignite our generation, God. So we pray, Holy Spirit, would you come right now and confirm your word with signs and wonders following. Holy Spirit, come. And there may be some of you in this room and you might think, I've never known Jesus that way. I've never stepped out in faith and said, Jesus, I want you to be my everything. I don't want you to just be my saviour. It's a great place to start, but He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be the one who, 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 who um, drives your, your life and who carries you into these incredible situations. So if that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity before anything else to invite Jesus in, to give Him your life. And maybe maybe you have known Jesus in that way in the past, but you feel like you're so far away from that place. I want to invite you right now to come back in. He's never, he, he, you know, Jesus' arms were open on that cross and He has never closed them. He has arms wide open for you today. So if you know that you need to make that step of faith and you need to come into that place, I'm just going to want to pray a really simple prayer with you. And we're going to do it in, in solidarity together with you. So if everybody can pray this after me, that'd be awesome. Jesus, 
we give You our lives. We give You our hopes, our dreams. We want You to be the Lord of everything. We invite You in. We ask You to forgive us for everything that's hurt You. We ask You to fill us now with Your Spirit, with Your truth, with Your life. In Jesus' Name. All God's people said, Amen, Amen. Now, with every eye closed, and every head bowed, if you prayed that for the first time or if you just gave that again to God, I'm just gonna ask you to do something really bold because when we do something on the outside, it solidifies something that's going on in the inside. And on the count three, I'm just gonna ask you to shoot your hand up and you can put it right back down again. We just wanna pray with you. One, He loves you so much. Two, your life will never be the same. Three, just lift your hand up and you can put it right back down again. That's awesome, that's awesome, that's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to breathe. Now in this place, Lord, we ask You, Holy Spirit, to come. I know that there are people here that are crying out for healing right now. There are people in this room that are crying out for freedom. They're crying out, Lord God, and we believe that You are the God who makes the impossible possible. We believe that You are the one who heals, Lord. We believe that You are the God of signs and wonders and miracles. And so God, we ask You to come and do what only You can do. I've done what I could do, Lord God. But now I'm asking you to do what only you could do. And I'm asking you to bring healing. I'm asking you to bring freedom. There's some of you in this room and you've been battling with your self-image and you've been full of fear and you've been full of anxiety. And I believe that God just wants to deposit something in your spirit right now. And He wants to deposit faith and strength within you right now. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. I believe there's somebody that you've had a really bad problem in your neck. In the top of your, at the bottom of your neck, where it connects to your spine, has been causing you loads and loads of pain. I believe that God wants to bring healing right now. So, Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, bring your healing in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And we're going to carry on connecting with God through worship. But I just want to offer if anybody needs prayer for anything, I'd love to pray for you. If you'd just like to come forward to the side over here, I would love to pray with you this morning. Thank You, Lord God. Thank You, Holy Spirit. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I pray we would go out of this place pumped and ready, Lord God, to do great exploits in Your Name. In Jesus' Name. All God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Riverside Church. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Riverside Church Southall Podcast. If you want to know more about us, you can find us at riversidechurch.org.uk.